How's it going, Odd People? You are listening to the Odd People Podcast, and I am your host, Matt the Cat. Today is episode number 84, and in this episode, I'll be talking to you about recovering from heart surgery. I had heart surgery a little over a week ago. It'll be two weeks by the time I publish this episode. And uh, I'm recovering from it. It's uh, a pretty fun and interesting <laughs> thing that has happened. Uh, make sure to go check out the Instagram at OddPeoplePod. You can find the show on TikTok, Twitter, and of course Facebook. Go to OddPeoplePodcast.com for merchandise and links to previous guests of the show and links to all the... Red bubble information? <laughs> oh, man. Do you have questions? Do you have concerns? Email me at oddpeoplepod at gmail.com. And I should be able to answer any of your questions, I hope. Enjoy the show. So if you've been following along, you know that uh, I had my pulmonary valve replaced a couple of weeks ago at this point. I don't know. I'm, I'm publishing this episode uh, probably about two weeks out since the surgery. I've been home recovering. Uh, for anyone out there that might be getting this procedure done, you know, you or your child, you'll probably want to listen to this episode. It's just, it's got a lot of technical stuff in it. Uh, if you can handle medical details, you'll want to listen. This is interesting. I'll try not to get too gross. Uh, if you can't handle <laughs> hearing about medical procedures and uh, that sort of thing, I'm specifically talking to one person that <laughs> he can't typically handle this kind of stuff. Uh, you might want to skip this one. I appreciate your support and listening so far. Uh, but that was your warning, <laughs> in case I get kind of uh, detailed. I have, of course, this episode prepared, but I'll go off the rails every once in a while, as you guys know, on tangents. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Um, let me start off this episode. Uh, I, I just want to mention that I had my procedure done at Boston Children's Hospital. Uh, yes, I'm an adult. I had issues with work, trying to come back to work. They thought I was out because of my child had surgery because of all the paperwork coming from Children's Hospital. But uh, the reason that I had it done there is uh, I had my original open-heart surgery there when I was an infant, and I've basically been under the care of that hospital my whole life. This isn't uncommon. They have adults go in and out of there constantly. It's it's not just a children's hospital. They They cater to everybody but you know obviously their primary focus is a pediatric care uh, anyway if you are someone you know needs this kind of heart surgery you need to go there it's literally the best hospital on the planet people travel from all around the world 
to go there. It's it's always been this way. I mean, I'm going to be 40 years old. The end of the year, I'm turning 40. And it's no different than it was 40 years ago when I had my first surgery. It's no different. It's always been a world-class uh, hospital. And people have come from around the world. It's, it's kind of crazy, and it's interesting when you're there to see the different nationalities and hear the different languages being spoke and the people that work there are very very dedicated to helping uh you know the the nurses the staff the doctors everybody i met everybody you know from all the medical professions and in between everyone i met everyone that helped me get through my time there was incredible they uh they are really really like the best in the world everybody there was nice you know i had multiple physicians that i talked to while i was there that definitely <laughs> didn't speak english as their first language but it wasn't any different it was it was it was great it was really it was really a great experience so once again if you, if you have any sort of you have a kid in your life that needs anything, not just heart surgery, any major issue, you should go to Boston Children's. It's an incredible hospital. Anyway, I'm very grateful for the people that work there. I'm very grateful for the care that I got there. Obviously, I'm alive. (laughs) I'm doing pretty good so far. (laughs) So it was fantastic. It was great. Really great experience. Uh, So here's just a quick background of my heart journey so far. For those of you who don't know, which probably that's most of you, I was born with a uh, congenital heart defect. I'll just refer to that as CHD from now on because it's a mouthful. Uh, I was born with a CHD called Tetralogy of Fallot. Uh, (laughs) There are four defects that contribute to this. And I won't go crazy explaining it, uh, to be honest. I'll probably butcher a lot of the medical definitions. Also, it's much, uh, it's much easier to explain with like visual aids, you know, because if you don't, if you're unaware or unfamiliar with the um, anatomy of the heart, it's kind of difficult <laughs> to explain. But I'll explain best I can anyway, because I'm just me. I'm not a doctor. I'm not anybody that's a professional in this stuff. I've actually been researching it a lot uh, as of lately, and I understand more about the conditions I've had in my heart now than I have my whole entire life. I've always been explained; it's always been explained to me in like the simplest terms. I guess I'm a simpleton. I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just what they do, but I I understand more about it now than than I ever have before. So I'm going to try to explain it to you as simply as I can without over-explaining or boring you to death. So the main problem, or at least the one that causes the biggest problem uh, of the four factors that go into tetralogy of Fallot is a ventricular septal defect. 
Now, this one's, uh, like I said, the most obvious one. That's when there is a hole in between the right and left ventricles or the lower sections of your heart, and it causes oxygenated and unoxygenated blood to mix, uh, and that's limiting the amount of oxygenated blood you get uh, into your lungs, and that would travel throughout your body. So that's obviously the biggest problem. That's the biggest repair that needs to be done to someone with tetralogy of flow. Uh, the telltale sign of this, uh, somebody with tetralogy of flow, especially when they're uh, an infant or a baby, is the blue. <laughs> they turn blue uh, when they're under stress, having a hard time breathing because crying and everything. They they don't have oxygen going to the rest of their body, so their face turns blue. Uh, back in the old days, you know, pre-my birth, they used to call it blue baby. And a long time ago, uh, if somebody was diagnosed with blue baby, they typically just died. Or if they caught it in time, they would repair it, but the repair was done to that ventricular septal defect, and uh, they would have to continue having heart surgery as the heart grows to uh, fix the problem. So another factor in this is pulmonary stenosis. That's a fun word to say. Uh, this is when the pulmonary valve is restricted uh, due to narrowing. So if you go back in time to me at two months old, I had open heart surgery at two months old. It was, you know, thankfully don't remember it. My heart was the size of a walnut. So during the repair of the hole on the inside of my heart, they removed my pulmonary valve. And I believe, I don't know this for sure, I'd need to ask my cardiologist actually, um, I believe this was due to the narrowing of the valve. And with my heart being so small, I would imagine it was easier to just open up the valve area as opposed to trying to fix the valve or make it so there was a different valve in there, I think it would have caused more issues. So they just removed my pulmonary valve. Um, so yeah, there you go. That's just a little useless <laughs> information for you. Uh, the two other factors are right ventricular hypertrophy, which is a thick heart muscle on the, on the right lower side, and an overriding aorta, aorta, <laughs> sorry, it's hard to say, uh, that's when the aortic valve is misplaced, meaning it's in the wrong spot. And that valve is sort of close to the pulmonary valve. So being as young as I was, uh, I don't remember the surgery at all. I was only two months old. Everything I know about that surgery is secondhand information between my parents and my cardiologist. And it was only information if I asked. You know, I, they weren't just sitting there telling me about it all the time. So most children that have uh, open heart surgery at this age, at a young age, don't remember it at all, obviously, because who else remembers things from their, when they're two months old? And the other factor that goes into that is with with myself being so small, my bones weren't even 
formed yet. I, I was mostly cartilage. At two months old, you don't have a lot of very dense, hard bones in your body. So when a child is that small and they have heart surgery, and I even saw it the last time I was, not this past time, but the previous time, 11 years ago, I saw that there were children that were a couple years old that had had heart surgery and like later on that day or the next day, they're walking the hallways of Boston Children's Hospital with a big smile on their face and it's like nothing happened. And it's it's incredible to see. And I don't know if that's just due to them being that young and not being, you know, privy to the trauma that their body has gone through. They're just, they just exist. And they're like, hey, yeah, that was a thing I went through. That sucked. And they just move on. So... We should all be like a two-year-old and move on when we go through trauma. So that's a good thing to keep in mind um, for the parents out there that may be listening. When your child's that young, they're good. Like, they're not going to remember it. It's <laughs> It may seem like they're in a lot of pain, and I'm sure they are, but it's they'll have no memory of it. So I grew up with some limitations, as you can imagine. I really didn't let it hold me back too much. Uh, and to be honest, of a bunch of people I know that have heart issues, uh, I'm a pretty mild case. Uh, I had, I've only had three heart surgeries in 40 years of living. So it really... Uh, I, I I was I'm I was lucky, very lucky. And that doesn't mean that your child may not be this lucky too. But I had a pretty normal uh childhood. And into my adulthood I, I really didn't need to have another open heart surgery for a while. But uh when I did it was to correct the enlargement of the right ventricle. And that was due to my heart not having a pulmonary valve. Uh, the blood was basically, uh, my heart was working overtime to get that blood moving past where the pulmonary valve should have been. So it expanded and it got larger and another valve, uh, my tricuspid valve, which is between... I'm going to butcher it, between the right ventricle and the other right upper side of the heart. I don't want to butcher it. I'll just say that. Uh, I wish I knew the term off the top of my head. And I know I've been looking at diagrams and reading, and I know it's it's right on the tip of my tongue, but it's like the aortic section. <laughs> it's the upper part of the heart. So my tricuspid valve, from the exp uh, you know from the expansion of my right ventricle, the tricuspid valve sort of spread apart. It wasn't closing. It was leaking by. It wasn't closing as tightly as it should have been because it's been, my heart had been working overtime my whole entire life. So it was leaking by. It wasn't that great. So they had to go in and cinch that valve tighter. They put a ring there to bring the valve the parts of the valve closer together 
that's obviously not the medical term. <laughs> they cinched it. They cinched it together like they're sewing a shirt. Uh, and that way it, the valve could work more effectively without having to be replaced. And for the first time in my life, oh, and at that time also, that second surgery, they installed a pulmonary valve. They gave me a new pulmonary valve. Um, it was a bovine valve out of a cow's heart. It was pretty interesting. So for the first time in my life, at the age of 28, I had a heart that was as close to everybody else's heart as it could be. It had all the right pieces. <laughs> it had, you know, I, I went through this previous open heart surgery uh, with the two biggest pieces of information to bear in mind. Uh, one was that my new heart valve wouldn't last forever. I knew it had to be replaced at some point. But because of the way they put the new pulmonary, va pulmonary valve in, uh, it was very securely in there with a ring, sort of like they did on the tricuspid valve. And so the second piece of information I came out of this one knowing was the valve could be re replaced through catheterization uh, in the future. So it was sort of like a good news, bad news situation where they said, you know, this isn't going to last forever, but you won't have to be opened up again. I didn't have to be cracked open like an egg. Um, that surgery at 28 years old <clears throat> was very memorable. Uh, it was very rough. As far as like recovery, I was in the hospital for about a week. I was home for six weeks. I couldn't lift anything. Uh, and at the time, my my oldest son was like two and a half, three years old. Let's see. Yeah, he was like two and a half. And that was heartbreaking to, you know, be near my two and a half year old and not be able to hold him. And then on top of that, my wife would go to work and she'd drop off my son at like my mother-in-law's for the day. And it was like, geez, now I'm home alone all day. I couldn't take a deep breath. I couldn't cough. I couldn't laugh. Everything was painful. It was, it was painful. <clears throat> it wasn't misery. I wasn't sitting there crying about it all day. Uh, I'm pretty high <laughs> tolerance for pain. So it wasn't, you know, I'm making it sound a lot worse than it was, but compared to this time, you know, uh, a week ago, a week and a half ago, uh, totally different, totally and completely different. Hold on one moment. I'm going to take a sip of my half-calf coffee. I'd like to take this moment to thank whoever the hell figured out coffee was a thing. Thank you very much. This episode's brought to you by half-decaffeinated coffee. Uh, yeah. So, let's see. And, of course, all this leads us to, uh, to this appointment that I had, this uh, surgery that I had, rather, 
Uh, I think the worst part about my stay in the hospital was the pre-op appointments. They took place the day before the surgery. <clears throat> they were grueling, uh, one after the other, speaking with countless medical professionals, giving the same medical history over and over again. And it was a lot to fit into one day. I walked into that hospital at 7.30 in the morning, <clears throat> and I left my last appointment around 4 p.m. It was crazy. Uh, thankfully, I had my wife with there with with me there all day. She stayed in the hospital with me. My my kids were at my brother and sister in law's house, and our neighbors were taking care of the dogs for us. So we have that was it. Like that's everybody for us. <clears throat> we had our little village to help us out, and it was good. But uh, yeah, it was a long day. It was a really long day. We stayed up in Boston that night. Ironically enough, it was our anniversary that day, the day of all my uh, pre-op appointments. So we went out to eat that night. Uh, actually, we went out to eat for lunch. We have a we had a we got takeout for um, for dinner in the hotel room because I we didn't want to drive back and forth. I had to be in the hospital the next day at seven thirty in the morning. I didn't want to drive into Boston, worrying about Boston traffic and all that on the day of having to have heart surgery. So, you know, we, uh, we made it work. It was, it was hectic. It was kind of stressful. Uh, but anyway, they gave me the rundown of the procedure beforehand. Uh, they, it comes with a lot of maybes, a lot of, you know, risk fact risk factors and I you know, I got to see my cardiologist who is, you know he is a you know, a specialist there at Boston Children's. So, you know, everybody's giving you kind of the same information, but some of it's a little different. They were worried about different things uh that could have stopped it from happening. And it was pretty intense. Uh so the plan for the procedure, I'll tell you how that goes in case somebody else out there is uh, getting this catheterization surgery. Uh, so they go into your superior vena cava and, their, and your interior vena cava. Those are the two large veins that go from your chest down to your legs. They carry all of your blood throughout your whole body. Uh, they enter those through your groin. So all I had was two incisions in the groin area. They gave me a really interesting haircut down there. <laughs> uh, so, <clears throat> so they go in the right and left side. And there was a large catheter. Uh, large meaning, you know, large because I'm an adult. About the size of your pinky finger. And that catheter goes all the way up through the vein into your heart. They did that one on the right side. I don't know if I'm just assuming because they were working sort of in the came in through the right side of the heart. They I don't know. I don't know why one or the other. Maybe that's the larger of the two veins. I don't know. I should have asked that question, I guess. So... They go up there <clears throat> into your heart, 
And that's where they inflate a balloon uh, in the area where your pulmonary valve is. They push the old valve out of the way. This was very interesting to me. I thought they were going to remove the old valve. I thought they were going to go in and scrape it out or blast it up with a laser or whatever. I thought, I don't know what I thought they were going to do. They basically inflate this balloon in place of where the existing pulmonary valve is, and they push it out of the way. And I'm going to stop right here just to give you a little side note. This is why all the pre-op testing was done. They're very diligent, and they're very thorough about everything. I needed an x-ray, a CT scan, the obvious blood work, echocardiograms. I had a lot of um, imaging done, basically for them to fill a balloon. <laughs> and it sounds crazy, but this, your pulmonary valve lies just beside your coronary artery. So they needed to make sure when they inflated this balloon, their, your coronary artery wouldn't be compressed or suppressed or pinched. And that way, you know, they can, they can perform the operation. But also, if your coronary valve gets messed with, uh, you could have a heart attack, a stroke, or you could even die. So they kind of go overboard with the imaging they they go all over the place it, it it's it's pretty impressive what they can do so you so not so not only do you have like a full day's worth of tests but while they're inflating this balloon like during the procedure they they also do another x-ray to make sure that you don't compress or suppress or pinch your coronary artery. Uh, even though the pre-op testing day was so long and tiring, it's totally necessary. And it there's just a lot. It's, it's a lot of stuff to fit in. All right. So where were we? Ah, uh, yes. The pit of despair. <laughs> just kidding. They put their x-ray specs on and they inflate their balloon and what ends up in place of the balloon is the sapien 3 transcatheter heart valve the sapien 3 heart valve is the only heart valve approved for valve and valve procedures in both aortic and mitral positions once the valve is in place the team, uh, the team observes it. Uh, they they make sure everything is where it should be. They make sure it's working, obviously, <laughs> and that's it. It's kind of the long and the short of it is that's it. They they go in, they inflate a balloon, they make sure everything's all set. They put the valve there, deflate the balloon, and leave. <laughs> that's it. I mean, I'm explaining this in the simplest way, and it's, it is major surgery, and it has major risks, and there's a lot of factors that go into it, and there's a lot of factors that could have prevented me from getting it. 
uh, or worse, could kill me. Uh, <laughs> but also, you know, they're they're the best. So I'm thankful that it's the surgery's done, and all of this is out of the way, and I don't have to go through open heart surgery again. That's the biggest factor, you know, because um, the valve can be replaced again if if the balloon had been pushing down on my coronary artery it could have it could have still been done but it would have would have had to been done surgically like they would have had to open me up again so i'm just throwing that out there in case you know in case you're wondering you know what happens then like that's it you just you just let your valve stop working and that sort of thing so uh yeah it can still be done. It would just be a lot worse and it would be a lot more painful. And like I said before, the, the surgery really isn't painful. Uh, this time around, it was not bad. Some discomfort still, you know, it's been, it's, uh, let's see, I'm recording this on Friday and it's been almost a week and a half. I had it done last Tuesday. I was home from the went uh home from the hospital the following day last Wednesday. So I'm finally not walking too funny. Um uh, I'm not in a ton of pain, still a little discomfort, but it's not terrible. And the difference between that and having your chest opened up is totally different. It's it's it was weeks of pain, weeks of having a hard time getting up and down and, you know, just think of all the muscle and tissue and everything that gets pulled apart when you have open heart surgery. It's it's a lot to it's a lot to heal. This time around, it's not that much to heal. It's really not that bad at all. Uh, highly recommend it <laughs> if if you can get away with it. If you have heart problems and you need things done, transcatheter is the way to go. So that's it. Now I'm just recovering. Hopefully that this new valve will help me get some stamina back, you know, in the ca cardiovascular department. I've kind of lost that over the past year or two. It's been uh, slowly getting to a point where it's hard to do physical activity. And, I, you know, all I really want to do is keep up with my kids. Like, I just want to go for a bike ride with my son. I want to go play and not, you know... I want to go play with my kids. They're they're my kids are thirteen and soon to be nine. They're at a the prime age of having fun and I mean what's not <laughs> the prime age of having fun, but yeah, you know, our 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 bodies are amazing machines. They de they do so many different tasks that we're so unaware of. You know, I grew up knowing that I wasn't going to be able to do the same things as my friends. Uh, I tried not to be jealous of other kids, you know, the, doing the things that I couldn't. Uh, but now as an adult, I feel I tend to push myself further, knowing what my body can or can't handle. You only live once. I can't just sit back and not try, at least. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, so that's it. I mean, that's... I'm just... 
I'm grateful for the whole thing. I'm grateful for you guys listening to this show right now. Uh, I don't know how many people are going to listen to this episode. Probably not a ton. Hopefully I can market this in a way that I can get some CHD parents to listen to it because I think it's really important for them to hear stories from adults. I know there's a lot of outlets out there. There's a lot of people doing strictly heart-related podcasts and, uh, you know, pages on social media and stuff. But I would like to extend this message to the CHD parents, if you're out there listening. Uh, I know it's scary. And to be honest, it's much worse for you than it is for your child because you have to watch your child go through it. Uh, Hopefully your child is too young to remember any of the pain and suffering that they will endure around their surgery. But as scary as it is, I need you to make a promise to your child. And this is from me. And I represent everybody that's grown up with CHD. Make a promise from us. <laughs> uh, promise your child that you will make make sure that they have uh, the most normal life and have the best childhood possible, no matter what their limitations are, because there will be some. It's easy for you to shelter them and to hold them close but your child is just like every other child. You need to let them go. You need to let them have fun. And you need to trust that they will know their own limits. Uh, it's That's it. You know, from, from an adult that grew up with a congenital heart defect, it's, it's tough to... I, I can only imagine. I mean, I have two kids. I can't imagine if they had any serious limitations and how hard it would be. But, you know, my parents tried to let me live a pretty normal life. They let me go off and play with my friends. And when I got tired, I came home. I didn't drop dead. I didn't run until I fell over, you know. Uh, teach them to advocate for themselves. You know, they if they do sports or if they... You know, just are out playing with their friends or out at school, recess, different situations, gym class. Teach your kids that they have to advocate for themselves because if they have CHD, they're they're growing up with an invisible disability. People give me have given me crap for not being able to keep up, you know, when I was younger. And, you know, uh, sometimes you bite your lip and you don't say anything because you don't want to be looked at differently. But you need to advocate for yourself and say, listen, dude, I have a heart problem. I can't keep up with you in my wildest dreams, <laughs> no matter what the situation may be. So that's that's my message to any CHD parents out there. Like I said, I'm kind of lucky. I've gotten off pretty lucky. I know there's people luckier than me, and I know there's people that are a lot worse off than me. And I'm grateful for the life that I've had. I'm grateful for 
the care that I've had at the hospital and at my cardiologist and yeah so it's it's a I'm grateful <laughs> and you should be grateful too uh, for the people looking after your, your child or looking at after yourself you know if you if you've gotten through life as far as I have with CHD I want to hear from you please send me an email hit me up on social media give me your story I like it I like to hear other people's stories and what they've gone through hopefully this episode helps somebody hopefully it helped my friends realize what I <laughs> have gone through in my life or you know realize uh, or you know just kind of discover what I have wrong with my heart I, I feel good I'm confident that I'll be able to get back out there and be able to get some exercise and get back to a normal life my normal life I know it's not everybody else's but it's mine I have nothing else written down so I'm kind of doing that rambling thing but I want to thank everybody for listening to the show today as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, go to oddpeoplepodcast.com. There is a link for the Redbubble store. Redbubble.com, you can upload your designs. And they basically can print it on anything. So I have some t-shirt designs on there, along with a bunch of other stuff that they make. But it, everything was kind of intended for clothing. So yeah, go check that out. There's a link. There's a link on oddpeoplepodcast.com to the Redbubble. There's links to everybody that's been on the show, all the different creators and awesome people that I've had on the show. I am in the works to uh, have a co-host join me. I'm hoping to meet up with this person next week. And we'll get some, uh, or it'll be this week. <laughs> when By the time you're hearing this, it's this week. Uh, try to lay down some groundwork for some new episodes. And as you guys know, it's been a hell of a year. It's been a long year. I've had a lot uh, go on this year. And I'm very thankful to all the fans of the show and all the people that have supported the show and the people that are uh, listening currently. <laughs> Thank you guys for keeping me going. Uh, I really want to bring it, bring the show back up to where it was and at its highest point, and hopefully, then some. You know. So I'll be, uh, I'll be pushing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna push. I'm gonna try to get this going again. Uh, so thank you guys preemptively for listening to future episodes. Also, I want to say a shout out to my my doctor, my cardiologist, uh, Dr. Fred Wu. He works at a Boston Children's Hospital. I see him at the Providence, Rhode Island office that I've gone to my whole entire life, which is the office of Dr. Patty Rompf. She is still practicing in her old age. She is... The woman that saved my life, I'll give you a quick story. When my parents brought me into um, 
It's called Women and Infants Hospital in Providence, Rhode Island. I grew up like 20 minutes away from Providence, so that's where my parents brought me. I was blue in the face, two months old, could barely breathe. My mother was told at other hospitals that there was nothing wrong with me and that she was being hysterical. Uh, my parents brought me into women and infants, like I said, crying, gasping for air, blue in the face. And when Dr. Patty Romp saw me, she took me from my mother's hands and ran me <laughs> into the hospital to get me oxygen and to get my life moving. Basically, she saved my life at two months old. And because of her and because of who she is as a medical professional and um, through her good nature, she got me heart surgery with one of the best heart surgeons ever. <laughs> he was a man named Dr. Castaneda. She uh, she she made it happen. She made sure that I had heart surgery right away as soon as I needed it. And she saved my life. If my parents didn't bring me there that day, who knows what could have happened. It was just, you know, the stars aligned and she happened to be right there taking a look at me. And she, <laughs> she took me straight from my mother's arms and made sure I was alive. And she's still practicing. I still go to that office. I don't hesitate to give her a hug. She's a good woman and I'm under good care. I've been under good care my whole life. And uh, definitely give me a shout out if you know either one of those uh, cardiologists, Dr. Wu or Dr. Rumpf. Hit me up. I want to know you're a patient of them too because they are great. You know, Dr. Rump's been practicing medicine since before I was born. So she's got patients older than me that still go to her. <clears throat> and uh yeah it's great uh, it's great people so shout out to the docs uh anyway so i want to thank you guys for listening today thank you for hearing my story hopefully you won't have to wait too long to hear another episode stay creative stay inspired and as always stay odd <laughs>